Hello, I'm Anita Joyce here with Kelly Wilkness, and this is Decorating Tips and Tricks, Episode 412, Trend Focus, The Collected Look. And we do like talking about how to create a collected look. It's such a beautiful way to decorate. And, you know, one we've touched on here and there, but we figured we'd sort of drill down and, and narrow the focus just onto the collected look today. Part of the reason we wanted to pick out a sort of a trend to discuss today is because the interview we have is with someone who is known as a trend forecaster. So, oh, yes. very interesting. Yes. Well, and this is new for us. I'm excited that it's our first interview. I know. I know. It's really going to, it really was fun. I did an interview with uh, this uh, woman, Amy Azarito, who wrote a wonderful book, which is the, um, Subject of our giveaway, The Elements of a Home, Curious Histories Behind Everyday Household Objects from Pillows to Forks. And it's a great book. Uh, we were sent the book by Amy's publisher. Anita and I both really enjoyed it. And uh, they reached out to us. We said yes. And, you know, here we are. We have an interview to share with you. But before we get to that interview, we want to talk about the collected look because it's a really lovely way to decorate. Uh, and it's a wonderful time, if you will, in our collective experience where you can go through all of your wonderful items and choose and curate the things that you want to highlight in your room. And you can start developing this collected look because it's not necessarily things you need to go out and buy. It may be a lot of things that you already have on hand and having things on hand now uh, in, in our surreal ex existence is a great thing. So we can help you play around with some of the stuff you already have and start on the road to this collected look. Even if you haven't, you know, explored this in your decorating at all, it's, we can start now. Well, I love the idea. Like you said, this is just such a, it's not easy to go out and buy something new right now. So what a great thing to embrace that uh, everything's going to be a little mishmash. Everything's going to be pulled together. Not everything's going to be matchy-matchy. So it's wonderful that that is the trend right now because that is our reality. But you know what, Kelly? Also, the thing I like about it is that it is a look that is less expensive. This look means you can take what you've got as a starting point and then work from there. So you, it's not a situation where you're going to have to, if you want to use a collected look, it is not a situation where you're going to have to go throw out everything you have and start from scratch. You can build on what you have, move things around, and it's very forgiving, very fluid, very flexible. And so there's a lot to love about this particular style. Well said. And just in case anyone's listening to this, six months, a year, six years, 60 years from now, uh, we are recording this during the midst of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. This is mm -hmm. why we're saying yes. <laughs> that you might not be able to just like hop and skip down to your local antique store or your local home goods or wherever mm -hmm. uh, to purchase something. So that's why we're referencing that right now. But yeah, the collected look, I think, one of the things that I love about it so much is it really gives you the freedom to be you and to be authentic. You are putting together your own look. And if, if you get anything from listening to this podcast, this is the one thing we want you to take away. If, if all the other specific tips fell away and you couldn't remember one thing, remember that we want you to develop your own style. And the collective look is an embodiment of you. It is going to be your style and it's going to be different from your neighbor. It's going to be different from Kelly's, from Anita's, from anybody, from any of the designers uh, that you see in magazines or, or books that you like and enjoy. Even if you love what they're doing and you, you have bits and pieces of that, if you do it in a collected way, it's all going to be about you. Absolutely. I, that's the other fun thing about this is that no two houses are going to look the same with this collected look. And uh, I mean, I guess that's true with any style, but especially with this one, it's a very, it's very much based on your personal taste and what you've pulled together, all your favorite things. So it is a, it's really one of the most unique styles that you can come up with because sometimes I look at two rooms that are the same style and I think, wow, they look like almost the same room. 
Right. So if you say, oh, I, I, I'm doing a mid-century room. Well, your mid-century room will look just like somebody else's mid-century room. Right. Obviously, they might not have exactly the same furniture, but it's going to evoke the same feel. Oh, I'm going to do, uh, you know, even though you're, you know, you would say it's a sort of, a, you know, a French company country, but you've developed your own style. You have, you know, the rustic pieces, you have the bits of the Texas feel to it. You've, you know, you've made that style your own. So the collective look, you know, you may have a base style like Anita does or like I do, but then you're going to add things that are going to make it your own and things that are going to be reflective of where you are, where you've been and where you're going. And you can take that in the literal sense and or the figurative sense. So uh, you're going to be mixing a lot of different things uh, and a lot of different experiences and places you've been, things that you love, put it all together in a very unique way. And, you know, this is, I think, indicative of our styles, too, uh, because I've always felt like uh, this doesn't, I've heard other people say this doesn't work for them, but I've always felt deep down that if you buy things that you truly love, you can usually make them all work together because there's some underlying theme that makes them work together that maybe your subconscious was aware of but you weren't but it's it's interesting how if i just like things and i put them together they usually and but they're different styles it usually they usually make sense yeah i agree and i think that collected look is different than the eclectic look which eclectic is fun oftentimes it's very colorful and there's a lot of different things going on obviously uh but if it's not done really well, it can go look a little haphazard, uh, where the collected look is truly curated. So maybe some of the, those other tips that we have passed along, you know, all, all along the, the, all the episodes we've been doing, like the um, limited color palette and things like that and paying attention to balance and scale. Like if all those things come together and they play a part in your collected look, even if the things are very different, they're going to work together, you know, first, because you love them. And second, maybe because they're all in a, a limited color palette. You know, so those mm -hmm. other things will help you along to curate this look. Right. And you want to kind of continue that theme throughout your house. Just like you said, use a limited color palette, but also try to kind of spread things out so that not all your Moroccan things are in one room and your country French is in another room and your mid-century moderns in another room. Right. It, you want it to feel like it all flows together. So you want to kind of mix those things around. Yeah. Case in point, um, you know, I've been adding more modern pieces, but, you know, they have to be the certain modern piece and it has to, you know, have some of that, you know, like you, you would describe it maybe. Um, and I, I appreciate that very much. The Paris apartment kind mm -hmm. of, modern piece that I'm adding to, uh, you know, my more of my old world look or in my older house. So in my small office, I realized, well, everything kind of just has the old world look, you know, obviously there's the built-in cabinets, there's some computers in there, but the chairs looked older, you know, the, the, um, even the knobs, all these things. So I just added a pair of much more modern chairs, gray upholstered sort of streamlined with a uh, gold legs very slim metal gold legs and man do they look good and that's carrying it through because i've been adding just a few modern pieces like a lamp in my living room and the chaise in the other side of my living room and a few things in different places and now that i'm carrying that little uh punch of modern look throughout it's really making the whole house flow better rather than just having it in that one room yeah, I think that's a great idea. So what are some things that you can do to get the collect? Well, clearly no matchy-matchy. Mm, right. Because, you know, I mean, unless, you know, you're talking about two lamps or something like that, but you don't want a whole set of something that looks like, you know, you just bought, oh, like room in a box. Like that is not the collected. But, you know, but let me step back to when we're talking about the collected look and putting all these different uh, disparate styles together. I wouldn't add too many different styles. I think then it does a look, tends to look kind of crazy mm -hmm. and out of control. So I, again, like with the limited color palette, I think I would limit the number of styles and not have too many different ones in, in your house. Yeah. Um, variety of textures and finishes. And again, you know, there's a limit to that. You don't want 10 different metal finishes. You know, maybe you pick two, uh, three tops, but definitely a lot of texture and different finishes. You know, again, just 
to show that these these things have different hallmarks. They're coming from different places. Uh, yes, and as Anita mentioned, you mixing furniture styles. But again, you know, you don't want to have one of each style, uh, you know, in the decor book in there. Mix a couple of styles together and old and new treasures from your travels if you have any. And it doesn't have to be crazy exotic. Oh, the time I went on safari, you know, uh, with Isaac Dennison. It can be just, you know, your trip to wherever and you got a seashell, but it's part of your travels. And if you have a collection of something, obviously the collected look, uh, you know, can house a collection somewhere. So, uh, you know, put it out on display. It's great to be able to put a collection all together unless it's Mongus, um, because on Moss, it's going to have a lot more presence than if you put you know, one vase here and another one over there and another piece over there. So try to um, display them together and see how you feel about that look. One resource, which is wonderful to get a sense and some inspiration for the collected look is a hashtag on Instagram. Um, some bloggers that I'm friendly with have been utilizing this hashtag. I don't know if they're still doing it, but they were they were doing it for quite some time. And so there's a number of posts there which are hashtag collected look. And if you don't know how to search a hashtag on Instagram, it's super easy. You just go to that little search magnifier and you, then you would just put in the hashtag. So you know the, the number sign and then the collected look and you will get the images that have also have that hashtag on it. So I was on there this morning looking and um, you just fall down that rabbit hole. Everything mm. is more beautiful mm -hmm. than the next. So definitely take a look there. Well, and what you're talking about with the limited color palette too, uh, I think we've done that with our white pictures. You have a collection of white pictures and the way, the reason that just looks so calm, cool and collected, haha, is because they're all the same color. Just like I've got all the white dishes in my kitchen it feels very calm and peaceful because they're all the same color so i think that can add some balance and calmness to a room if you have a lot of things in there yes so true i like that idea don't you just love a great recommendation from a friend well we're delighted to be recommending these companies and their wonderful products to you today and let them know your friends at dtt sent you Anita and I are so delighted to be speaking with Amy Azarito today. She's the author of a fabulous new book, The Elements of a Home, Curious Histories Behind the Everyday Household Objects from Pillows to Forks. And you know how we love our history here at Decorating Tips and Tricks. So Amy, we are so excited to have you here. Let me tell everybody a little bit about you because maybe you're not going to want to toot your own horn, but we want everyone to know that you have a master's degree in the history of decorative arts and designs and also in library science. You have lectured at universities and historical societies all over the country. You were the managing editor for Design Sponge for five years, and you had a column there on design history. You are also a librarian at the New York City Public Library for eight years, and you have written extensively uh, for different uh, publications like Architectural Digest and um, Design Milk, as well as Brit & Co. and many others. So, Amy, welcome to Decorating Tips and Tricks Thank today. You. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. The book is fantastic. Thank so you. tell us a little bit, you know, fill us in a little bit about yourself and the book, and then we'll get started into, a, you know, a few more details. Yeah, sure. Um, I think for me, the real aha moment uh, in terms of writing this book was when I found that master's program that you mentioned in the history of decorative arts and design. Uh, it was a collaboration between Parsons and the Cooper Hewitt Museum. And which is, if you ever have a chance, I don't know if you've ever been. But I have. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's just an amazing place. And that's where I got to go to school. Um, I don't even remember how many times I was going three times a week, say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're at the museum. And we were really trained uh, to look closely at objects and zoom out from there and see what the object is telling us about the world and culture. 
Uh, then when Grace approached me to write uh, a column for now Design that's Sponge. Grace, that's Grace yeah. Bonnie from Design yeah, Sponge. Yeah, sorry, thank okay. you. Yeah, Grace Bonnie from Design Sponge. Uh, and I had was a giant fan of the site um, already at that point. So I was so excited and wanted to do something immediately new. I wanted to write about um, objects and design history. And she was also really excited and helped me. One of the things she really helped me do was uh, write for a more accessible, in a more accessible way than one is generally trained to do at school. So with her help, I, I started writing um, in a way that was just a little bit, um, just less academic. Oh, so at school, you're writing really for papers for other historians and whatnot. Is that right? Right, right. Okay. At school, you're writing. Yeah, it, get, it gets, it's probably a lot like being a lawyer. It's like, how many large words can we fit into this one <laughs> Or do you get paid by the word to throw, to throw people off? Yeah, um, what is that? Right. Grace would be like, ah, can you say this a little differently? Right, right, so, right. So yeah, so so I got a lot of um, great practice and and help and kind of blended those um, those two worlds. Book is uh, fantastic. So it, tell us everyone now how it's broken down because I love that it's in sort of these bite sized pieces. You know, you could sit down and you could read about you know a champagne flute, or you could sit down and read about uh, you know some other object, a, a plate or something like that, and learn something and, you know, maybe 10 minutes or less, right? It's a great book to sort of take to bed with you. You read a little section, you feel like you got a little information. A lot of the stories are just very, very anecdotal and they're funny and you learn about historical figures. You might not have even associated them with these particular objects and whatnot. So why don't you tell everybody, since they, the book is just out, so they may not have seen it yet, um, how the bro book is broken down and uh, you know what your uh, objective is, I guess, with each of the chapters. So the book is organized around objects rather than, say, people or design movements. I wanted it to feel very, even though it's history, I wanted it to feel very accessible and connected to our lives today. Um, so there's nothing in here that you wouldn't see in today's home. So I have the history of the bathtub, the candle, um, the wine glass, the wreath. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's so, <laughs> so a lot of things. <laughs> the mirror. I mean, you know, really the only thing that I can think of that someone might not have, but they've all played Clue. So everybody knows about a jib door. They might not know what it was right. called. But that's interesting to know. Um, and when you see one, you can be like, oh, there's a jib door. You know, and right. it makes you fabulous at cocktail parties having read this that's book. That's true. Right. And that's sort of why I put that one in there. I was like, oh, I don't know. It's one of those things that you might have seen but you just don't really like yeah, why is it there say? and why do people that? have it right. and um, yes right uh, but for the most part people will be familiar with and everything there's 63 in book. items in the book right yeah there's there's a lot there and i think lot. it's so nice because it is something that it's most of the things and if you know 60 plus of the things are things people are, are almost going to be touching or using or experiencing in their homes every single day. And it is stuff that we just sort of take for granted that's there. Um, and in years past, in the ancient history and sometimes not so ancient history, people didn't have these objects and they certainly didn't function the way they do now. So it gives you such a, an appreciation for the things that you encounter in your own home on a daily basis. So I think that renewed sense of appreciation and sort of gratitude for where we are with these things uh, is is really nice. And you may not even think about that when you're first reading the book because you're kind of enjoying the anecdotes and just, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And that's so interesting. And oh, you know, Cleopatra was involved with that too, kind of thing. But when, you, when it really boils down, it does give you a different appreciation for the stuff we handle every day that makes our lives a little bit better and, and our homes are more decorative and easier to function in. Right. I do say in the introduction that, you know, we, we all are living here in the Western world. Uh, if we're lucky, uh, we all are, are living like the kings of, uh, <laughs> I mean, a very, not even that far distant past when you think about it. I mean, the fact that we can 
control the temperature and have light when it's dark, uh, have a comfortable place to sleep. Those are things that would have just been the height of luxury um, at one time. And so thinking about that, it does. It gives you, I, I don't hit the reader over the head with that right. in the individual section. Right. So if you come, a, I think it's it would be difficult to read it and not come away feeling a sense of gratitude for mm-hmm. all of the objects that we have in our homes. Right. Um, and appreciation for the people who lived without those things. Uh, but it certainly is meant to be um, just fun and engaging. And maybe you can learn a little something that you can impress people with at a cocktail party or at dinner when the conversation lulls, or at least at least turn the conversation away from the news. Yeah, um, yeah, hey, exactly. You know? And it, de- but it definitely does underline the idea of like your house is your castle. I, you know, well put. There's not too long ago where people didn't have any of these things right. that we live with every day. So it's, it's such right. a fun read. I really recommend everyone picking it up. And Amy has so generously offered to do a giveaway with us, which we'll have information on uh, at the show notes for this episode on how you can enter for a chance to win a signed copy of The Elements of a Home, Curious Histories Behind Everyday Household Objects from Pillows to Forks. But not only is Amy a historian and uh, really fun to chat with, uh, but she also is a trend predictor. And I don't know if she was doing that necessarily in connection with her days at Design Sponge, or that's just a fun thing that she's been doing as a, as a historian, if it comes from that. But we're going to kind of put Amy on the spot today and ask her to predict some trends that she sees coming down the pike, because we know all of you love to hear about trends. Yeah, trends are, trends are fun. Um, well, let me ask you this. Let's dial back. How do you become a trend sure. protector? Is this like, you know, someone like, hey, you're really good at, at knowing what's going to happen. Like, you know, you predicted this or you saw millennial pink coming down the pike. Like, how did you become a trend uh, predictor? Because everybody might want to become a trend predictor. Become a trend predictor. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you first have to be predicting trends. Uh, <laughs> and the way you know what trends are upcoming is you spend a lot of time doing what some people call educating your eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that just means seeing a lot of stuff. Uh, So going to museums, going to very high-end boutiques and even high-end antique stores. Uh, And not necessarily, you can also do this all online if you're staying at home, but uh, not necessarily to buy anything, but just looking and seeing what are, what are they, what are they buying? What woods are, or is this shop uh, mm-hmm. purchasing? What is everything? And just trying to notice some of the commonalities and similarities. What color is the wall? What color are there, are there floors? Um, and stores have obviously a big incentive on staying very forward thinking. Uh, but it's easier to do this in the stores that you probably, you know, would never purchase anything from. And exactly. Everybody has boutiques. Everybody knows what stores I'm Right. I'm like you're not going to predict a trend by, you know, visiting all the TJ Maxx in your county. Like you need to right. be going to places where they're, they're pushing the envelope a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Exactly. And you can get very overwhelmed by, um, you know, say if you're shopping at Goodwill and, you know, before you go to the Goodwill to pick out the things that are going to be like amazing in your home, go to the insanely expensive antique store in your town and see what they have purchased and then go back to the Goodwill. So doing a lot of that, educating your eye and reading magazines and blogs, listening to podcasts like these. Um, I, you know, I've been doing that for a really long time. And so it's it's amazing. It just I'm sure you've noticed it too, right? It just you just start noticing. Oh, I'm right. Seeing a lot of people using this thing. I'm seeing less of this or that, uh, and you start to to pay attention to those trends. And so, I have written about trends now on Design Sponge. It was also very popular content. We would do uh, a lot of trend writing. And when I moved out to California and started doing more freelancing as I was working on the book, trying to focus on that, I was asked to do um, some trend consulting for 
different brands. Ooh, trend consulting. That sounds yeah. really fun. <laughs> is, does is. that not involve a magic ball? It involves all these things you're explaining. It does. Yeah. It's how I put together presentations and just kind of try to for what I saw coming down the pipeline, what seemed like. Now, have you seen, now you've been doing this for years. Have you seen that it's, um, is it a cyclical situation? Is it sort of a pendulum swings really far one way? Everybody's got all white walls and all white furniture and everything is white. And then they swings back and everyone now is doing really bold color again. So are you, do you see it going back and forth or does it kind of go around or something else? feel like it probably um, is a little bit slower than um, magazines and retailers would like us to think. Uh-huh. Um, because when you're making changes in your, particularly your home, fashion is obviously does move more quickly. You know, they always say, because that's another good place to mm-hmm. look for trends is um, looking at the runway shows. Uh, so I think it does move more slowly. And I think it's always different. So I think if you walk, you don't want your home to look like the set of Mad Men, even if you do like mid-century design. I mean, it just, you just can't have all of it. It needs to be very, yeah, you don't want all of it. It doesn't need, you don't want it to look like it's too steamy. Right. We're always encouraging all our listeners to develop their own style. Even if you, you know, like you say, even if mid-century is your thing, you got to mix it up a little bit and really put your own mark on it. Right. You don't want to be buying everything from one place or once and that's like that goes for pottery barn but it also goes for yeah. your favorite thrift store right you know so you want to just try to and that i know can feel scary and challenging um but yeah that's sort of that's how i came to trends and kind of what i what i've done can we peek um, in to your brain is there something you see coming down now we're sort of mid well, I guess we're at the end of the first quarter of of tw- yeah. uh, 2020. Is there anything that you see that, is, you know, hasn't been predicted yet or something that's going to go away that was predicted? What do, you, what do you see in there? One of the big things that I see, um, you know, you mentioned white walls mm-hmm. and white walls are still very popular, particularly here in California, where you and I both are. Um, we have a lot of white. Uh, but I think that we'll start seeing, and we already are, but more and more texture. So uh, lime wash paint, for example, oh. plaster. Um, the uh, there's this, do you know the Jersey ice cream? Yes. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. They have a beautiful Instagram account. They do. I'll link that in the show notes for People anybody who doesn't. Definitely that. follow them. Um, and they've been doing uh, amazing plaster work. But if you can't afford someone to come and plaster your wall, mm-hmm. there is a, a lime wash paint. Uh, that's an amazing uh, option. And uh, I can, and there are some companies that it's, you just Google that and you can find some, some lime wash paints. And that actually dates back, is a technique that dates back to Roman times. So it does tie in with my Oh, here's our historian. All right, perfect. Yeah, Yeah, so it's lime wash. It's made from limestone that's been crushed uh, and burned, and then it's mixed with water, and it makes this this putty. And the paint gives you that kind of textured effect. So That sounds like a complicated DIY. This is something you would uh, would definitely want to buy buy pre-made. Yeah, yeah, don't do the DIY. Don't do the DIY. Yeah, buy the can. (laughs) Save yourself time. Buy the can of buy the can of paint. But um, so that's a that's a place where I think we'll we'll start seeing some movement to textured. Oh, more textured I like walls. that. We're getting some really good insight here. Yeah. So that's fun. And then more pattern, mm-hmm. more patterns, um, even busier patterns, florals, um, as opposed to we've been in a space where there's been a lot of tonal rooms so like everything i'm in my bedroom right now and it's very tonal actually so it's like white walls white bedspread but i think we'll start seeing a little bit of a a move away from that and the accent coming from uh a big bold pattern so like um almost reminiscent of maybe a brocade so a uh a, a bold floral uh 
headboard, for example, something like that. So just more, a little more pattern, uh, more niches. So like, that's been a thing that we're seeing a lot in retail spaces. Actual physical niches, like in the actual, wall? Yeah, like in the wall. Oh, wow. Because I find that those are, they didn't they get popped into houses a lot in the 80s? And then you were like, what do I do with that thing? I know, I know. But they're in, uh, they're in a lot of stores. I'm actually thinking of putting one in my pantry. I have like this thick wall and I'm thinking of cutting out a space and then putting shelves inside oh, of oh, it. So like so going like between a, the studs. I think yep, that's a great yep, idea. Yeah. 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 So I think, which I think also was something there actually were, there actually was one of those niches in this, my house was built in the sixties. Um, and I covered it because it was in a weird spot. So mm-hmm. I covered it up. I was like, we can't, and now I'm thinking of putting one in, <laughs> you know, it, just for somebody else to cover up. Yeah. 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 So it does. Um, dark doors. I think are looking really fresh. Okay, great. Because I'm painting the doors in my hallway black. Yeah, you are. I I love that. What color is your hardware? Well, it's all super old. That was originally with us because my house is from 1886. So it's all the so I'm not going to change the hardware. So it's mostly uh, unlacquered brash. That's, you know, clearly. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I love the dark. I just feel it looks it like it looks his it, it, it I mean it looks historic and older, mm-hmm. but it also feels really fresh because we're so used to the white door thing. Yeah, in, in I agree. Spaces. So there's something really historic yet fresh about it. And um, in the hallway, it gives something you know because mine is long and narrow, and you can't really have any furniture or anything. It's even hard to have something on the wall because you can't really appreciate it because you're so on top of the wall. So it kind of gives me an opportunity to do something interesting in the hall. Hmm. That's cool. Thanks. Thanks. That's Any exciting. trends that you say were like that were predicted this year that you think are just like, oh, no, you know, Led Zeppelin's not, not going to fly? <laughs> um, I am. I don't know if I'm I don't know. I don't I have no idea whether this is right. I am a little bit over like the over the top terrazzo. Yeah, um, that particularly as a pattern. Right. And I don't know if people know, but it's like the tiny, it's also another sort of ancient technique, but if you see like the tiny little specks and that, and it was like on everything on right. mugs and on, um, and used as a pattern. I'm pretty over that. I don't know. So like terrazzo tile, but used as a pattern. Terrazzo tile used as a pattern and real like terrazzo is still kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Um, I don't, it's a lot. It's a big look. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, yeah, I'm a little over that. Uh, let's see. Rattan and wicker has been popular for a while. I'm still, you know, I love that still. And I think that has some staying power. So what object from your book is your favorite object that to write Mm -hmm. about? Which, which one did you think was the most interesting? I mean, you know, that's like asking children. people to say their favorite <laughs> children, right? Yeah, yeah. Who's your favorite? Um, but if you had to pick one. Well, if I had to pick one, I do love the history of the fork. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I love it because I, no, we use it every single day, many times a day. Uh, and it that wasn't always the case. And I think that's, an example of how shocking some of the history when you get into the history of these objects. Just well, thinking was it, about didn't you write time. that the uh, fork was actually sp- considered a, an instrument of the devil? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, it well, wasn't just not used. Yeah. Apparently, right. uh, both my girls felt that way when they were younger because I, I could not get them to eat with a fork. They wanted to always use their hands till you know, way beyond they should have been doing that. <laughs> they might have no, known that history that they must have no and it is when you think about it right it's a um i've heard people who have young children say the opposite say their kids were like so excited to use a fork Mm -hmm. when they finally got a fork because it seemed like (laughs) just a thing but yeah it was considered immoral and unhygienic and a tool of the devil that was because it sort of is the shape is reminiscent of a pitchfork particularly the very early dining forks which were 
two-pronged or maybe three-pronged. I mean, they really looked like it could be a devil's uh, a devil's pitchfork. People ate with their hands. Um, and interestingly, they were very hygienic about the hand eating. So washing was a very ceremonious and ritualized activity. Um, it was, you know, you never, there wasn't, uh, you know, you didn't go to the bathroom and do it privately. You were doing it in public. Oh, it's probably so, people so are you're, maybe healthy. So you're, right. yes, right. So you're, <laughs> you know, people are very uh, careful when mm-hmm. other people are watching them. So you're doing it in, in front of everyone. One of the reasons they think that maybe people thought the fork was unhygienic is because there weren't that many of them. And so you had to share them. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, could could yeah. have been unhygienic. That uh, would do it, yeah. That would kind of do it, yeah. But then uh, there, when sugar started to become more readily available, uh, there was a, a candy made that was made with fruit. So it was very sticky and sweet and syrupy. And it was the craze for that sweet, that candy that brought back the fork or that made oh people gosh. feel comfortable using a fork. So they were willing to make a deal with the devil to eat the sweet. Basically. <laughs> I mean, they basically, we, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. They were totally scared until the sweet tooth took over. That and is so funny. Oh my no gosh. No one cared anymore. So yeah, that's, that is probably one of my favorites. Um, my two just, favorites, I couldn't decide which. So oh I, yeah. What are your favorites is the, the chandelier, uh, which oh. I have one in my house. Well, I have several, but I have one that's uh, very big in my dining room. And so I loved here reading about that and how that came to be and um, the development of you know, what it looked like initially, just metal and like a couple of prongs and then the gems and then the leaded crystal. Very interesting. And then the rose, which, you know, would you know, definitely is an op- object, if you will, a flower that's in my house all the time. I love to have fresh flowers around. So, and I'm a gardener. So I loved learning about that. And um, in that chapter about the rose, you also mentioned a fabric, which I thought at first was my very favorite uh, Schumacher pattern, the a pine hollyhock. But I kind of sussed it out. And am I right? Is it the manor rose that Dorothy Draper a design. I think you are right. Okay. Yeah, so, I, have, I mean, you'd make me have to go back to my notes. I'm but, guessing uh, <laughs> that might be it. And then the next paragraph, you're talking about the desert rose pattern, which was Anita's all-time favorite uh, pattern for her plates her in China, and she is you know fanatical about dishes and whatnot. So I just thought that was so interesting that Isn't those that two were close together in that chapter. So I think everybody that listens to this podcast is going to enjoy your book immensely um let me ask you one last question talk to us about your approach to decorating so you know how do you start a project i don't know where you are as far as your own home if you know are are any of us ever done who you know who love to do this sort of thing probably not but like i don't know if you're renovating or you're you know you all you need to do is hang a few things on the wall or where you're at in your own home but Mm -hmm. in general how do you approach decorating a space yeah it's it's I feel like nothing's ever finished I have to say so I have a lot of rooms I feel like um I've done a good job starting and then not finished the most finished space in my home is probably my daughter's nursery which doesn't really seem fair but um (laughs) but must have been so much fun to do it has been I mean I've, I've had the opportunity over the years to work with um, different designers and Sage actually, who um, runs an Instagram account called city Sage helped me with the nursery. Um, And from working with designers, because I've been trained as a historian, not as a practicing designer, but I have really learned the importance of, planning and making Pinterest boards and making uh, just different collages before you start purchasing the big pieces. Um, And so sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't. I mean, my home is in this weird, not weird, but just in a transition space because I have um, a 10-month-old. So 
I feel like I'm constantly moving stuff around and <laughs> just trying to make it function yeah. yes. better. And that's probably one of the things that I spend a lot of time, like what about this space? Is it working? Um, why are people throwing all their coats on this chair? Right. Is there a way we can get them? And that's probably uh, what I, where I'm at right now with my decorating being less about what's the, um, the photo I want to hang above the fireplace and more about how, how do I create something where it's really eat, where people trip over the place where they hang up the clo the coats versus putting everything on this chair. Right. Um, that's been my, that's so been my functionality. Maybe. Functionality is really important, but I do, I do usually start by making some kind of a Pinterest board and um, collage and, and trying to go from there. And then other than that, I just, I just try to be really willing to change. So I, the, the fixture I had above my dining room table did not work. I had to change it, you know, I, I just think being willing to change. And the more you work with designers, I find that that part is something that a lot of people don't realize, like how much doesn't work, right. <laughs> how many things they'll try in the space. Like mm -hmm. when you work with someone, they'll try something in the space. And if it doesn't work, it goes back. That's probably the value of working with a designer. Actually. Oh, that's a great tip. Uh, you know, you because know? sometimes people feel, uh, especially... You, know, you want to check the return policies then, but mm -hmm. you know, you're spending time researching it. You're spending money on it. Sometimes it's hard to return something, but having that openness that, Hey, yeah. if it doesn't work out, you know, either this is going to go into another room or it's, I'm going to yeah. just take it back and start over. And that's okay too, because right, you learn yeah. the most from that. Right. Or just making the mistakes. And, and when you see designers, I mean, I, um, worked with Betsy Jen of Sneed that mm -hmm. she has a, a great eye. She's in Southern California also and does a lot of vintage and things like that. And she helped me when I was in a, an apartment and came with like, and she uses vintage, but came with like a truck of stuff oh, and only half of, Oh, it was so fun, but only half of it. They, I mean, she tried different tables. Doesn't work. Doesn't, right. um, just, and being fluid, I think is one of the most, so that's something I try to remind myself. I like that um, being fluid. That's a great. It's gotta be fluid. Um, yeah, they say your tastes change. Aaron from Apartment Thirty Eight told me your tastes change every five years. So pretty much as soon as you're done with a room, <laughs> I guess you're ready to do it again. Well, I was okay, like, oh my goodness, that's depressing. That's very interesting. You say that because we're going on just five years here, and it, you know, they talk about what in marriage the seven year itch. Thank goodness I never got that, but. <laughs> I've definitely got the five-year itch. All of a sudden, I was like, I want to add some more modern pieces, and I want something more streamlined, and why did I even like that lamp? <laughs> but it's been it's fun now going back around again. My husband's like, what? Didn't we do all this? Is this not Well, it? it's hard because your life changed. So yeah. five years ago, you had two, young, two youngish teenagers yeah. Yeah. at home. Right. You know, almost teenagers. And so, like, it's totally different than as you're moving to like right the people that use forks, <laughs> people that use forks that don't touch the walls as much. Oh no, the touching you know? on the walls. I don't know when that ends. That might end when you graduate from college, or I don't know, maybe after you have your first job. Everybody That's why I'm kind of excited about this textured paint thing. I have to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm about ready to try this lime wash because. I think a I, lot of people will be now that you mentioned that. Yeah, Amy, that, thank you so much for sharing you. your time and sharing your wonderful book with us, which definitely giving us all a renewed appreciation for the objects in our lives. Thanks, Amy. Have a great Thanks, day. Kelly. Well, I loved talking to Amy and I hope you all enjoyed that interview. We might decide to do some more interviews as we go along. So let us know how you felt about that. Let's talk about our hot topic today. Well, I think this is very timely, and I was so excited when I saw this link. Uh, it is a list of museums that you can visit virtually. Isn't that timely? I love it. So, it, yeah, the title of the article is Stuck at Home. These 12 famous museums offer, offer virtual tours you can take on your couch. Oh, I love it. That is so fun. I saw the um, article that you sent and I was just like, oh, I can't wait to dig into this. So um, I hope 
that everybody enjoys that, we'll have that linked in the show notes. And there are some museums in there that I've been to before and ones that I would probably never get to. So I'm really excited about taking those tours. Right. I mean, there's the British Museum uh, in London, the Guggenheim in New York, a National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., and the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. So I was the recent there last summer and there's also um the van gogh museum in amsterdam Uh and a few other ones so yeah i think you're gonna really enjoy it um my crush today is um an issue of veranda magazine the march and april do you know sometimes when you just get a magazine and you gosh is every page is fantastic and every article just really you know is engrossing and the photos you're just like oh i want to dive in or you find yourself dog earing it well you know that happens not that often and i have to say i enjoy magazines all the time but sometimes there's just a standout and i really felt that this particular issue of veranda it's the march april so if you can get your hands on that really you should because i think you'll all enjoy it and tucked inside there was a great offer which i took advantage of Um, Because oftentimes I just buy my magazines when I go grocery shopping, but I'm not really grocery shopping right now Mm -hmm. Um, because I just sort of treat myself when I go out and I don't order them through the mail. But this is Miranda and House Beautiful for a year for 17 bucks. Oh, ooh, right. Deal. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those where I think then they just, you know, they keep signing you up after the year unless you tell them stop. You know, it's one of those things. But for $17 to get those two magazines delivered right to your door. I think that's great. So if you have a chance to check out the March, April veranda, or maybe you can even look on it online. I don't know how much they put online. If they won't deliver it to my house, I don't think I'm getting it. Yeah. I'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see if I can get that. That is an, oh, I can't wait. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. I want to check those out. Yeah. Both of the magazines. What's your crush? My crush is a a tea that I've been thoroughly enjoying, Harney and Sons, has an herbal fruit tea sampler that I am just enjoying immensely. And you can drink it hot or cold, but I've been drinking it hot mostly. Uh, but the beauty, beautiful part of it is if you have a little less do- left over in your pot or in your cup, just add, put it in your fridge for a little bit and you can drink it cold later. So I'd had their peach before and I was looking to buy some online, as you were saying, we're not going out uh, right now and I couldn't find it by itself. So it kind of forced me to buy their sampler set, which has the strawberry, kiwi, peach, mango, berry, passion fruit, blood orange. There's six tins and, uh, it has been such a delight to drink these. Now, I love these. I love all teas, but these are herbal, so you can drink them all day long. As much as I love uh, English breakfast tea, I cannot drink it all day or I'm just jittery. But the herbal teas you can have all the time, uh, right before bed and all day long, and you can't have really too much of them. So, um so yeah, I highly recommend these. These are absolutely delicious. It's a, it's a fabulous brand that I've been buying from for many, many years, and I'll include the link. Right. Okay. So our question today is from Andrea M. Loved getting Andrea's email. She's a horse trainer, and she often listens to DTT while she's riding horses. Have you felt sometimes the wind in your hair and as if you were just riding, you know, through a meadow? Well, we have been, Anita. We have been with Andrea. <laughs> and I just love it that we've been, she's been uh, enjoying the podcast in that way. So I fun. That might be one of the most unique ways we've heard of people listening to us. We're definitely on, you know, any workout machines, walking dogs and cleaning, doing dishes, household things for sure. Gardening, definitely. but while riding a horse. That was pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, yes, it so does. Andrea's question is, um, well, let me set it up. She's got an 1880s farmhouse. Mm, she has wow. most of the home painted in uh, Benjamin Moore's Mountain Peak White with pure white trim and a semi-gloss. She is considering, well, she is painting her dining room, I guess, and it has wainscoting all around. And she wants to know our opinion as to whether or not she should paint the wainscoting in the wall color or 
in the trim color. I would say to match the trim color. That would be my recommendation, and that's the yes! way I normally see it. I, I mean, it. that's what I see 99% of the time. Do you see it the other way? No, not normally. But again, mm-hmm. you mean you could do that if it worked mm-hmm. for you? Um, sure. I mean, it's right. It's not that you can't do it, but it's not, yeah, it's not the typical for sure. And I like the way it looks when you have beadboard, wainscoting, shiplap, whatever you're talking about. Um, especially if it's just on a portion of the wall. So it's going up you know, maybe halfway with a chair rail in Andrea's dining room. And that, that sort of pops out as a, as a feature. And so I think if that's how you want it to be, albeit, you know, it's in a, in a white and most of her walls are also white, just a little bit of a different tone. I think that that just sets it apart in a nice way. The other thing that I think would be a little confounding is then what do you do about the molding that's on the wainscoting? If you painted the wall color, then is that the trim color or do you continue that with the wall color? So I think that it takes all those um, questions off the plate and you just do it. The trim, the molding and the chair rail would all be in semi-gloss or white trim Mm -hmm. color. And I'm so glad you said that because I did email her an answer. Sometimes when people ask a question and I know it's going to be a week or two before the show airs, I want to give them a, an answer because it's literally sometimes people email us and like the paint is dripping off their paintbrush. I and know, like, I know. Okay. I know. Like, sometimes they're like, well, never mind. I've already right. painted it. I've already <laughs> did it. Like, especially now when everybody's home, like I'm doing this. Like, what yeah. should I do? And you're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll try to give us a little time though yeah. in general because, you know, we get them and then sometimes it's a couple weeks before we get to it on a podcast. Right. But, uh, you know, so I did give Andrea my opinion and it's, I'm glad yours was the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So don't forget to enter the giveaway for Amy's wonderful book, uh, The Elements of a Home, and the link for that will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today, and let us know what you thought about us having an interview segment. We would love to hear your feedback on that. And as always, remember, we're here to inspire you to create a beautiful home. Until next time. I want to remind you that we are available for design consults. We take on your design dilemmas, questions, renovations, any project you want to talk about, any room, any space. We are here for you. And we really do enjoy doing these. And I think we've helped people a lot. So if you want to sign up for a consult, head to the link in the show notes. It's decoratingtipsandtricks.com slash consult. We hope to talk to you soon.